This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. You're listening to Lerato Mbele on Power 98.7. All right, it's time for us to go behind the party line, proverbially. It's something we do every Monday where we speak to political organizations, just really finding out what they stand for, what their values are, their principles are, and what they'll be offering the electorate in this election year. And today we are speaking to the ruling party. I know Sis Mahlengu Bengi Mutsiri always says it's the governing party, but in itself, for me, that's a, that's a really difficult issue. It's, for me, it's like a semantics issue because governing suggests the social compact, ruling suggests that you are um, unaccountable, almost like a monarchy. But you know, when you look at how the ANC has conducted itself uh, when it comes to issues of accountability in parliament, then yeah, they do lean towards a ruling party. But anyway, that's all English. What the electorate wants to know, even before the ANC announces its manifesto, is what they'll be offering to South Africa this time round. The national elections of 2019, they'd won by just over 62%. And pollsters suggest that we're going to see significant declines. They might still get uh, a simple majority, many people are saying. So there might not be a need for coalitions, as others have suggested. But there is a sense that we are watching a revolutionary liberation movement in decline. Do you agree with that, Mahlengi Bengu, Mutsiri, ANC national spokesperson? Well, we don't often comment on pollsters, uh, and we, of course, Lirato, and thank you for having me, um, and greetings to the listeners. We don't often comment on pollsters because there are all sorts of different polls, and um, the, for us, the main poll is uh, the groundwork that we do, and the groundwork we've been doing over this past weekend and uh, previous weeks. And uh, our message is clear. We are seeking, we are going to be seeking the renewal of the mandate of the ANC. We do believe that uh, our strife is for an outright majority. Okay. And that's just where you're going to put it for now. Okay, but even though you don't comment on the results of polls, surely within the ANC you are using some mechanism to forecast, to look at the numbers and uh, model probabilities for yourself. So whatever figures you are working with, um, what does it tell you about how people feel about you today as the ANC? We do have our own in-house research, policy and research uh, capacity that has recently been revamped, uh, Lerato, and of course that really becomes our framework that we utilize even for the development of the, uh, the 2024 elections uh, manifesto. We do, of course, are not blind to polls, but we also have to be very careful about the sources uh, of polls and the funders of various pollsters mm. in order to come to a determination about how credible is this uh, result and which one we have to look at very closely, as well as a way of corroborating our own internal research. And uh, we, we are very much painfully aware that the NC has to fight this battle, taking into account the achievements since 1994, and taking into account some of the misses under the, the governance mm-hmm. of the ANC. And in, indeed, we, okay. we consider ourselves a governing party. 
the ANC does have a social compact with the people of South Africa in manifesting or has manifested in various sectors of the economy, for example, manifested in a number of, uh, whether it's ward committees, whether it's uh, community policing forums, that governance framework that exists in South Africa suggests that there is a social compact. Okay. So anyway, I need to correct my figures here. 2019-57, previous election, just over 62, and so on and so forth. So I think this is telling us a trend if we're going to look at any of those figures that slowly but surely there is somewhat of a decline. And this is the reason experts are telling us that we are seeing a trend in the reverse direction. So this is going to be quite a a long question, so bear with me. The ANC has presided over an era of significant regression and costly setbacks, particularly in the last decade. The energy crisis that's foremost to most of us, all of our minds, affects everyone, sis Mahlengi, and it's led to 2 billion rands in daily losses in the economy. That's load shedding. It's shrunk the economy by more than 1.5%. Nobody can dispute those figures. In turn, SMEs have had their businesses shut down, and when businesses shut down, people get retrenched. And the consequence of that, Statistics South Africa, about a year or so ago, said poverty levels in South Africa, poverty levels, now stand at 55%. In other words, more than half of the population of this country now live below the breadline, just poverty. If we're going to look at uh, unemployment, the official figures are just over 32%. Uh, Trade unions and other NGOs believe the figure is closer to 40%. Regardless of whose figures you're looking at, the majority of those not working are school leavers, people under the age of 24 years, and those who do have work are not sure for how much longer they can hold on to their jobs if, because of systemic crises like energy, uh, businesses shut down, then many more people are facing the risk of unemployment. Right now, the president is addressing the mining in Daba. Mining companies alone have lost up to 30% of their revenues because of export delays caused by the disrepair of the rail network and the port. So big taxpayers to the economy, big corporate taxpayers to the economy have not been able to contribute to the kitty because the infrastructure is collapsing right before our eyes. Crime statistics are repeatedly revealed to us, but collectively in a year, 27,000 people have been murdered in one year in South Africa. That's almost matching the death toll of deaths in Gaza. In fact, it's more. And it's significantly more than the fatalities in Ukraine. So South Africa is a nation at peace, but the number of people who die in South Africa almost makes this country feel like it's a nation at war. All happening under the authority of an ANC government. How does that make you feel? Well, there have been misses. I mean, for example, the unemployment challenge is, is a massive challenge. And I think it will be totally disingenuous for any leader of the ANC to minimize the extent of this challenge. Um, I could go on with the challenge about prioritizing logistics and infrastructure in our economy um, is another stubborn challenge that is being attended to. Um, you've mentioned a number of things. So it was a very tall pecking order there, Lerato. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say that have a look at the national census data, 2022 census data, mm-hmm. and have a look at what that means for the 300 years of colonization versus the 30 years under the leadership of the ANC-led government. I, I still wish to say that in, in your questioning, there's less mention of the successes under the ANC government. There's less mention about the fact that 
the ANC and South Africa is ranked very highly in terms of how it scores on social comprehensive social protection mm. for our people, particularly the most vulnerable and the poor. There's less mention in your question about the doors of learning and culture having been opened, including access uh, to primary and tertiary education in South Africa. There's less mention of the extension of healthcare coverage, particularly for those that can't fend for themselves. I could mention quite a lot of those things in terms of how social transformation agenda has been advanced in this country. Okay. There's less mention about those things. Okay. There's also less mention about the fact that the structure of the economy, including energy security, mm-hmm. highly affected by the fact that previously that same energy infrastructure only catered for a, a small a fraction of the South African population and has had to be you know, stretched beyond its capacity. I accept the fact that less focus on maintaining the energy infrastructure is one of the reasons where we are, apart from the other systemic and historical structural reasons. But I just thought that a sense of balance is required okay. as well. Fair enough. And I can bring you the balance now, except that the trouble is for every gain, there's been a reversal. So if we just use the energy as an example, around 1994, and these figures are somewhat dis- uh, disputed, we're told that just over 35% of the population had access to electricity. Others say it's just over 50%. But by uh, the early 2000s, uh, we were looking at an 88% provision. So the gains of energy provision are an ANC-led government gain. We can give you that, except the energy crisis we're sitting at right now, where even if people have been given electricity now, they can't access it because of load shedding, is as a result of mismanagement by the ANC. This is the quandary. Well, well noted. Um, um, I'm, I'm really quite optimistic, and I suppose many South Africans are giving us this feedback that we can see how you are tackling the challenge of load shedding. Um, and if this has less to do with the upcoming election. This work began way back, and we're starting to see the results. Mm. Okay, so you mentioned that some of the gains of the ANC-led government um, is um, your pro-poor policies. I'll just say that, right? Is the fact that embedded in the Freedom Charter is the need to protect the most vulnerable, the poor, um, and to make sure that nobody's left behind. We can accept that. However, the South African Constitution, Section 27.1c, says that looking after the most vulnerable is the fundamental responsibility of the Department of Social Development, irrespective of which government is in charge. And so for the ANC president to stand up and say, without the ANC, social grants would be withdrawn, is not only disingenuous, it's actually dishonest because it's a constitutionally enshrined principle. It just happens to be a constitutionally enshrined principle that matches the values of the ANC's Freedom Charter. Do you think the ANC needs to come and correct this perception that only the ANC provides social grants, because it's not true. Well, you just have to look at the manifestos, and I think we should look uh, very closely at uh, the upcoming manifestos and and the ones that have been launched by different political parties and the promise they're making around comprehensive social security and not just social grants, but comprehensive social security and whether they're speaking the same language and the policy posture that the ANC has had over many years. Um, you just have to have a look at that. I don't necessarily think the statement of the president suggests that there will be no grant system. But uh, we do know that 
part of the reason the ANC continues to be voted in is precisely for those extensively and comprehensively pro-poor policies. And um, this is something that, of course, we want to continue with. We know that a number of political parties have been saying that we're creating a nanny state um, and, and all of that. So I do think that there's a lot of evidence out there suggesting that uh, some of the political parties have said that were you to vote for us, we will scrap uh, black, uh, broad-based black economic empowerment. Were, we, were you to vote us, we will remove the following and remove the following. Right. Things that are quite important in the journey of advancing right. transformation in our country. Interesting you've just mentioned that. Uh, but first, before, before we do that, and I think you can see where I'm going to go with this. First, before we go there, that 18 or so million South Africans now rely on some form of social welfare, whether it's the Social Relief, uh, Relief and Distress Grant, the 350 that everybody talks about, SASA, the pension funds, uh, pensions for the elderly or child grants. In as much as it's laudable, and it is laudable, Sis Matlengi, because we, because we can't, with, in good conscience, just leave poorer South Africans behind. But without capital expenditure into infrastructure, the sorts of things that stimulate the economy and create jobs, without a timeline of how we wean people off of welfare and create opportunities for dignified employment, do you think it's really an accomplishment to constantly look at social grants, social welfare, however comprehensive it is, as a success when the real success is stimulating an economy for jobs so that people can dignifiantly put food on the table and not rely on welfare. Can you call it a win, I think is the question I'm asking. It it certainly is a win, considering the state of poverty and equality that you referred to earlier on, Lirato. But I do think that it's not the either or. I think these must actually, you know, work in tandem. It's important that we grow the economy. It's important that we create jobs. It's important that we take entrepreneurship to a much, much higher level. It's important that we create a state of reliance and self-reliance and self-actualization among and for our people. Um, I don't think that it is a case of social security or the economy. Mm. I think these must go hand in hand, considering the history of inequality in South Africa. And I still really do wish to maintain a very important point raised by one of our colleagues, Dr. Zamani Sol, Mm. and says that, uh, you know, look at 300 years and look at 30 years, and can you really say that in 30 years, South Africa should be looking like what we all aspire to have, and therefore that is why we must continue with the struggle to transform the economy, to transform the social security, to transform all manner of uh, aspects of society, including democratic governance. Okay. Just a sidebar, when you mentioned the fact that, you know what, uh, we have a comprehensive approach to social security. It's not just social grants, but it's really looking at what causes poverty and where the safety nets are are needed most. And you said, when I look at other uh, organizations and how they talk about welfare or social security, uh, how they want to remove BEE, then I realize that they haven't thought through what vulnerability really looks like for, for, for a dispossessed people. And yet, you know, uh, people were saying just last year in April, the utterances of Dr. Snooki Zigalala as the head of the ANC Veterans Association was that the ANC would be open to going to a coalition with the DA were the opportunity uh, to present itself. And then uh, some of our callers today said, you know, if you listen to how some of uh, these leading stalwarts are talking, there seems to be a momentum 
uh, towards that. So I'd like you to clarify for us. If the ANC didn't secure the necessary simple majority, would a DA coalition be something that you would be prepared to consider? Well, I mean, you know, the Veterans League, um, of course, as you know, is a constitutional organ of the ANC, um, can express themselves the way they, they wish to. Um, and of course, unless it is something that is totally outside of our principles and our values, um, they, I have no such a mandate to, you know, to articulate an idea of a coalition with a DA. From where we are sitting, the DA does not stand uh, for the same values that we stand for. Our policy positions are at odds with one another. Our ideological standpoints are at odds with one another. Um, I can't, of course, speculate about what mm. it is that the ANC will consider into the future, mm. but there is absolutely no such a thinking in, in the mother body. The I do okay. need to clarify that. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Let's talk about municipalities and how they work. And granted, not all municipalities in South Africa are ANC run and they've been coalitions and coalitions themselves have been fraught. We know this. But nonetheless, uh, this is where service delivery takes place. This is where budgeting is at its um, most scarce. I'm going to say that only a 10 or 11% allocation from Treasury. And this is also where many people don't seem to support the idea of fundraising via the payment of rates and taxes. And one of those areas we're told is Soweto. And when we speak to the people of Soweto, when they speak in their own voice, they say the ANC promised us in 1994 that basic services like water, like electricity, like refuse collection will be free. And so they can't wake up 30 years later and change their mind. And so the kinds of promises the ANC has made versus the kinds of resources that are needed just to have functioning service delivery at the lowest levels are now incongruent. So um, what do you make of municipalities? And um, is the ANC open to a proper dialogue with citizens of Soweto and other areas where you've overpromised and haven't quite uh, fulfilled those promises? And uh, how are you going to convince constituents to pay for services? Well, I think that, I mean, the, the, there's a strong subsidy system um, at a local government level. And of course, you are correct that when, you know, our people look at local government, they think ANC as a governing party, mm. um, notwithstanding the fact that uh, in Hang municipalities, we are, you know, we either are a minority there mm. or we're not there at all. I mean, a good example, yesterday, we were in Mamelodi with the president mm. for the, you know, for voter registration weekend. Mm. And the amount of filth there, if you look at just um, as you drive around, mm. all over Mamelodi and other parts of uh, Tswane that we went into. Mm. And surely the ANC has not been in power there for the longest of time. It is important that we do indicate that we are not in, in charge of Tswane as a, as a, as a metropolitan mm. municipality. When we say that it is not out of dis- defensiveness, it's a plain fact. But having said that, Lirato, I absolutely agree with you that uh, from where our people are sitting, they don't hardly care who actually is controlling the seat of government in a particular municipality. The important thing is that we need to have this way of integrated intergovernmental relations working in practice. Mm. The idea is that, in fact, this loaded idea of the district development model should be operating in practice. In, in, in other words, all of those that are in political leadership, whether as councillors or as ministers or as MECs, 
the kind of maturity that society expects from all of us, including ourselves as the ANC, should be of such a nature that it doesn't matter who runs a local government, we should yeah. work to the interest of, of, of the people. Mm. I don't think that we overpromised things in 1994. I suppose uh, uh, we're coming from being a liberation movement into government, adjusting policies over time as evidence presents itself that it is important to do so is not an idea of walking away from mm. what you promised when okay. you first came into government. All right. So my final question, in fact, final two questions. This is another one of those big loaded ones, is that unfortunately, increasingly, when people use the terminology ANC, they use it interchangeably with corruption or tenderpreneurs or uh, things that are seen as uh, rampant patronage within the organization. And I think it's true over time. So early 2000s, Oilgate, arms deal, Travelgate. Later on, Nganla, the strategic fuel fund, 300 million rands missing. Gupta state sponsored, uh, uh, Gupta sponsored state capture, well documented in the Zonda Commission. Recently, ESCOM coal supply contracts leading to the SIU issuing a summons for the board and execs to recover uh, about 3 billion rands that have gone missing from ESCOM. The Guiani Dam project issue 2014, Prasa procurement, toll trains. Palapala, the COVID relief fund, the SIU Pro to that COVID relief fund, Digital Vibes, Hamanskral water treatment project and what uh, bidders got and what they didn't get and how then they are allegedly funding the lifestyle of senior ANC leaders, including allegations against the uh, deputy president of the country. So whether it's true or not, these events have happened. They are a blemish on the conscience of the ANC as an organization, and they have led to the mismanagement of funds in a government led by the ANC as a governing party. And we also have issues like Chancellor House, the investment vehicle of the ANC, that not only bid for state contracts, but then got itself caught up, embroiled, excuse the pun, in the Hitachi boiler transaction. So whether we're looking at party itself or party as government, there is a real concern. And Stellenbosch University says corruption in South Africa has led to about one trillion rands being wiped off the books, one trillion of a five trillion rand economy that the ANC has presided over. So the corruption problem, how are you going to convince voters that you've got a handle on it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a, 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 a mountain to climb, um, you know, and part of the reason why we, we've tackled it in the way of two interventions. One, the launch of the renewal project of the ANC, program of the ANC, um, seeking to really rebuild the, the, the organization, including cleansing the organization and ridding it of the demon of those who are corrupt. The ANC is not a corrupt organization, but individuals that have been associated with corruption, making sure that action is taken to address that, and therefore the, making sure that the caliber of candidates that we select to represent the ANC as public office bearers are of people that are not of any questionable character, and making sure that our candidate selection process respects that and that it respects the Vision 2032 adopted by the 55th National Conference that uh, takes the ANC on a trajectory of renewal. Now, I know that uh, there is often a question that that says that uh, is there such a thing as this renewal? We don't see it. 
but we do wish to assure your listeners, Lerato, that uh, there are certainly some mm-hmm. headwinds um, in the direction of the okay. renewal of the NCM. If you look at uh, some of the uh, selection requirements that have been put out by the ANC's electoral committee, yeah. Uh, regarding those that want to make themselves available for parliament and legislatures, you can already see that uh, okay. it's not business as usual. In terms of corruption, we've made strong pronouncements, and some of which are being now felt in real in, in, in real life. I mean, one of the things that we're committing to do is to educate our members and society that corruption is criminal as well as counter-revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, consistently disassociating ourselves from those who are corrupt, and those who commit serious okay. crimes, those who abuse women and children, and are involved in acts of sexual harassment. Okay. And I'm just highlighting a few of those. And one, one thing I do wish to say is that this is what the ANC is saying. In fact, our manifesto is going to be extensively address the issue of corruption and the commitments that okay. we're going to be making. Okay, and very briefly, that manifesto, I know you don't want to steal the thunder from uh, the top seven when, yes. they re- when they reveal what's in the manifesto, but yes. really what are you promising people this year, just in terms of principles, five things that they can expect to hear from you? Well, the manifesto framework um, speaks to some of the, to the, you know, the elements that I've highlighted. Uh, um, the, the Rato, it will speak to, for example, 30 years of freedom. What is what have, uh, have have been achieved, and what has not been achieved. And I suspect we're going to be very frank in 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 that assessment because South Africans um, are here; they don't live elsewhere. They know they live the lived reality. Uh, we're also going to speak about uh, what it is that we have achieved or not achieved since uh, 2019. We probably would also allude to the effect and the impact of COVID-19 in, in, on, on South African economy, health system. But also it will speak about our resilience in surviving that period. It will uh, address itself to economy and jobs. The whole issue that we discussed earlier, social wage mm-hmm. and transformation, and what it is that we're going to be doing to tackle crime, GBV, and, and building safer communities. And of course, the, the geopolitical situation, including a better Africa and a better world. Masengu Bengu Musiri, ANC National Spokesperson, taking us behind the party line. We're a little late for the news, but I just thought we should conclude that interview. So please forgive us. BJ Molloy says, if the ANC keeps comparing their 30 years of rule to 300 years of colonization, it makes no sense, says BJ. Dubai, which is in the UAE, rose from the ashes of the desert in less than 30 years. In the 1990s, Dubai was just a desert with a few skyscrapers. Now it's the center of the world. This argument makes no sense. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.